I have a shadow this morning. Hi, shadow. Good morning and welcome to Washera Community Church. It is a beautiful day to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's so beautiful, the, the white, the purity, the just the cleanness of the snow. And we have angels here today. Look at the angels. Oh, what a blessing this is today. What a great service this is going to be. Thank you for joining us. If you're looking for a church home, a church stable to come to, uh, you're welcome. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and how we praise and give glory, um, please speak to Pastor Adam, myself, my shadow, or any of the elders or deacons or any of the ushers. The ushers are very well informed as well. So thank you for joining us. Uh, any travelers here? Anybody taking off after today's service uh, uh, for the census? I'm sure, right? <laughs> are you walking or are you driving or flying? Flying, okay. Yeah, can you imagine uh, the census back in the uh, biblical times? Everybody, I think most people walked at that time. So I think I have to start after service to get to my home today if I'm walking. So okay. um, we have some announcements that we'd like to highlight. Excuse me. I think they were expecting someone different up here. <laughs> Maybe Pastor Robert. <laughs> Okay, we got the good morning in, the mission purpose. I'm going to save the mission purpose. Announcements, number one, there'll be one Christmas Eve service, and that is at, service is at 5.30. It's a, I believe it's a candlelight service as well, so it's always uh, just a festive and great time to celebrate. Second announcement is one Christmas Day service at 10.30, Christmas Day, of course. That's why it's a Christmas service, so. Uh, the office will also be um, not holding regular office hours between Christmas and New Year's. The office will also be closed Monday, January 2nd. So if you have any office business or activity, please uh, do that before at a different time. And time change start. Our first, oh, our first service time change will be uh, January 1st, where services will start at 9 a.m. So that's our one start, our one service. Thank you. You are listening. You are listening. It's a test. It's a test. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You are in control. And now we have a ministry minute with Pastor Robert. Good morning, everybody. One more invitation to come for more. So on January 1st, yes, we're moving to the one service time at 9.30, but also a church-wide education hour at 11 o'clock. We're inviting all of you to be there, and you can sign up and register for that as parents or adults out into the foyer. But here's my encouragement and my invitation to all of you today. We, we are in a holy season of Christmas, and at Washer Community Church, we live by faith, don't we? We don't live by sight. We live by faith. It's, it's at this time of year that it's actually a little bit easier. We believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That's living by faith. We believe he came to be our savior and to rescue us from sin. That's an issue of faith. And we believe he's coming back again. That's an issue of faith. And for anyone here or anyone listening to us who has not yet crossed the line of faith, this is the season for us to invite your family and friends to say, hey, look at Jesus Christ. Consider what scripture says. It's true. It's believable. It's by faith. But for our parents and adults here, I think I've come up with the top 10 or top 12 list of reasons why some of you won't come for more. 
I've thought of those same reasons that all of you have thought of. I'm not sharing that list with you this morning because my point is to invite you to come by faith. And when I filter through faith, through trusting in the living God, my 10 or 12 reasons why on January 1st this may not work, or it's too long for us as parents to sit, our kids won't be able to do that. When I filter all my reasons through trusting and walking in Jesus Christ, you know what? All the reasons go away. Because we are a people who walk by faith, not by sight. So in this holy season of Christmas, we invite you, all of you, come for more. Two weeks from today, come for more. Your children, you as parents, you without children, come for more. Thank you, Robert. One uh, announcement I forgot is the cookie tables, the trays. Thank you so much for everybody who uh, made those beautiful works of art. Uh, they look delicious, and they're supposed to stay delicious until after the first service. So no cookies from the table. If they're in your pocket now, you have to wait till after the first service. If the ushers would please come forward for the offering, and if you join me in prayer, please. So, Father, we, we just you fill our hearts with joy this time of year, as well as the whole year, but especially this time when we know that you've just... Uh, decided, uh, uh, cared for, loved us in such a way that you would send your only son to this, uh, to this world. And you did it for us, for each and every one of us here at the heart and throughout the world uh, and through time. You're such a kind and loving and caring father. And for that, we thank you. And we pray that our, uh, blessed, or our worship today is worthy of your name, which is why we are here, Lord. We come to give you creative and meaningful worship and to discover and develop disciples for you, Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, we are true and faithful in that mission to you, Lord. And we ask that you bless um, our missions, Dennis and uh, Vania, uh, with their Liberian African Mission Project. Uh, continue to bless them, Father. Watch over them, keep them safe, guard them and their families in such a way. And we just um, ask you to bless this offering too, Father, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning. We are the Wrights, Peter, Alyssa, Matthias, Tobiah, Elisha, and Jeremiah. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. We've been reading selections from the Jesus Storybook Bible, explaining God's great plan to rescue his people. He whispered the promise to Adam and Eve, offered his people hope through Isaiah, and foretold a time of rejoicing in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
Today we read about the Jesus's mother, Mary, who believed God and responded in obedience and praise. Here's how it goes. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when, suddenly, a great warrior of lights appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He is the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Please pray with me. What a miracle, God. Not that you could enter this world as a baby, for we know that you can do anything, but that you would. Along with the angel, we profess that nothing is too difficult for you. And with Mary, we praise you for being the holy merciful, promise-keeping God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't that just beautiful? The kids? Man, that was that was fantastic. Um, we have been going through the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1 and 2, because this Advent season we've been looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of Matthew, through the eyes of Matthew. So we're in chapter 2 now. Verses 1 through 12. And let me get my clicker ready to go. I, I, I put up here just to, to give you an idea before we do the sermon. Just in two weeks, this is what Sunday lineup is going to look like. I'm really excited about the 9 o'clock part here. Because if you'd like to come in and join with others to pray for the service ahead of time, we're going to be in the library at 9 o'clock. So if you'd like to get some extra prayer time in, that's where we'll be. Then at 9.20, right around there, Aaron's going to start some music in the sanctuary. So if you want to get in some more songs and sing a little bit more, make sure to come in a little bit early and you'll get a little more music. Then at 9.30, we'll have our all-together family worship time together. And then just prior to the sermon, just like right now, just prior to the sermon, They'll be dismissal to kids' church for those that are going to that, age four through fourth grade. And then when the service ends at 1040, we'll head back to the lobby and have our coffee and our cookies and our hospitality time. But it'll also be a transition time for our churchwide Sunday school for children and adults that'll start at 11 o'clock, and then that'll complete at 1145, 1145. So looking forward to our new schedule starting in two weeks. Matthew 
approaches this whole idea of Jesus coming as Jesus the King. Jesus the King. And he is going to have someone come now and visit him, the Magi, um, from the east, and they're going to specifically call him that. Where is he who is born King of the Jews? King of the Jews. And if you got a sheet this morning, what I did this morning, it's a little bit different than I've done before, is you just have the scripture and it's got a lot of space in there so that you can write down some things as I'm going along, as I'm reading through this. So now after Jesus, and we've learned that Jesus' name means God is salvation. We've said that over and over again. So when you say his name, it's attached to why he came. He came bringing salvation. God is salvation. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem's a little tiny town south of Jerusalem, about six miles. About six miles, it's kind of in the shadow of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is way up high on a, on a hill and you could look down through the valley and see this little town called Bethlehem. In the days of King Herod, now this is Herod the Great, Herod the Great, and he reigned from 37 to 4 BC, somewhere in there, and he's called Herod the Great because he was the great renovator. So he's the one who came in and redid the whole temple. He's the one who did a lot of improvements all over the city of Jerusalem. And so when you look over the city of Jerusalem, you saw the hand of Herod the Great in his renovation of that town. But he was also the great eliminator, the great eliminator, because King Herod, if there was any threat to his role in Jerusalem, his MO, his mode of operation was just to get rid of them. Just to get, and he actually did this with some of his family members. He would eliminate them if there was a threat to his position of being the king, of being the king. It's also written in history that when he was close to death, when he was close to death, he was afraid that no one would mourn his death. So he took the officials during that time, threw them in prison, and told the authorities, when I die, when I die, they all die too. Because then, therefore, therefore, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem. People from the outside will say, oh, they must have loved their king. And so he even devised a way for people to feel sorry for him. He was the great eliminator. Behold, that word we come across over and over again in Matthew means to see, but it's also to pay attention. So it's not that you just saw, well, yeah, I saw that. No, it's actually you saw it and you're paying attention to it. You're focused straight in it. Behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, now who are these magi? Here's a little bit of a history lesson that we went through before. At one time, Israel was a united kingdom all together. Then it became a divided kingdom. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And God told them, because they were unfaithful to his covenants, they, he told the north and he told the south that if you do not turn back to me, uh, there's going to be a foreign power that's going to come in and take you away. And that's what happened in the north. The Assyrians came in. And then later in the south, the Babylonians came in and took the southern tribes away. Babylon is uh, Babylonians were the rulers at that time. The next one that came into power was the Medes and the Persian. The next one that came into the power were the Greeks. 
And then the next one that came into world dominance was the Romans. And now we're up to Jesus time. Now we're up to Jesus time. Why do we bring this in? Because who are these magi? Who are these magi? We make them out to be three. We, make, we give them names. We, we, we do, we've done a lot with them. But what do we know about magi? And to know this, you have to go to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Daniel was a young man when he was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon in that captivity. While he's there, he distinguishes himself as a man of God over and over and over again. And it's in the book of Daniel that we see who these the magi in a general term are. So in chapter 2, I'm just going to fly through here. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the second year of king, the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And then the king said, Call in the magicians, the cojourners, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. That's who the magi were. This is this group of wise guys. There's a group of astrologers, scientists, um, of, of looking at, things in many different ways. And so if there was a question, if the king had a question, he would bring this group in who were intellectuals in a sense, and he would ask them the question. Well, when he asked them this question, they couldn't answer the question, but there's one who could. And that one was Daniel. And if we jump to the end of verse 48 of that chapter, it says, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him to rule with power over the whole providence of Babylon, the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So now this young man from Jerusalem transplanted into Babylon is the chief over all the wise men, over all the magi, over all the magi. Let me go a little bit farther just to, so you can see his prominence in this role. Chapter 4, verse 7. Then the magicians, the cojourners, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I said the dream to them, but they could not make out its interpretation known to me. But at last, Daniel, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is, is a spirit of the holy gods, and I said the dream to him. O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is difficult for you, say to me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with my interpretation. So King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the world, looks at this young boy named Daniel, and, and he's chief over all the, magis, all the magi at that time, or at that time, and he says, I know why you can do this, because you serve a holy God. And you follow after that, that holy God. Go to chapter 5, verse 11. 5, chapter 11, verse, chapter 5, verse 11. Now there's a new king. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. It's Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Belshazzar. And there's some writing on the wall, and they can't figure out what the writing is on the wall. And so the queen says this in verse 11. There's a man in your kingdom. There's a man in your kingdom of whom the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, set him as chief of the magicians, the cojourners, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. 
this was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and the solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So now you get to see that Daniel wasn't just in power or in that position when King Nebuchadnezzar was. Now the next king, Belshazzar. And where do we find Daniel? He's still God's man in the east, holding that position, holding that position. Jump over to chapter 6, verse 1. It seemed good to Darius. Oh, now the Medes and Persians have come in. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, now Darius with the Medes and the Persians, a whole other nation, that he set 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of which Daniel was one, that, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because the extraordinary spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. So here's God's man in the east and he's not only survived through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, but now he's, he's over the whole kingdom under the Medes and the Persians, under the Medes and the Persians. This is interesting, verse four, then the commissioners and the satraps began speaking to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the matters of the kingdom, but they were not able to find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So they're trying to pin something on Daniel and they can't find anything to pin on this guy named Daniel. Nothing at all. So verse five, then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with his regard to the law of his God. That's the only way we are going to ever pin anything on him is we got to tie it to this law of God that he holds on to so tightly. And of course, that throws him in the lion's den. And he comes out of the lion's den. And then verse 28 of that chapter. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the kingdom of Darius and in the kingdom of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, why did I read all that? Because I wanted you to read that God had a man in the east. The Magi from the east had a man in the east for 70 plus years who was over all of the Magi. Now, this is many generations later, but you can just imagine that the influence that Daniel had on this group and his, his influence of his relationship with God, that the, the teachings of Daniel would have went down through the generations of him talking about his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of him talking about a coming Messiah, that this would have been part of their learning because they would have heard it from the great Daniel, the great Daniel. Verse 2. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? There's Matthew's emphasis again. He's talking about Jesus as the king. For we saw his star in the east. Most stars go from the east to the west. So we saw it in the east and it was traveling. And we have come to worship him. And worship means to kiss the hand or to kneel and bow down. Kneel and bow down is more appropriate in this scenario, in this situation. So when they say come to worship him, they mean they, they want to get down on their knees. They want to put their head 
right down to the floor. They're putting themselves in that vulnerable position before whoever is the king of the Jews. We have come to worship him. Now, has God done this before? Has God guided people with uh, lights in the sky or some supernatural way? And yes, he has. In just an example, in Exodus uh, chapter 13, verse 21, and Yahweh was going on before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might go by day and by night. So the Israelites, when they brought them across the wilderness, what did he do? He provided a guidance to where they were supposed to go, where they were supposed to go. And then one last one here I give you is numbers. There is a, a prophecy by a, a prophet named uh, Balaam, and Daniel would have known this, and Daniel probably would have taught this, but in Numbers chapter 24, he brings up about a star. Brings up about a star. Chapter 24, starting at verse 15, when Balaam says, Then he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is uncovered, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, he's a prophet, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who beholds the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes opened. And then he says, I see him. I see him. I see the one that is to come, but not now. I behold him. I hold him. I pay attention to him, but not near. And then he says, a star shall come forth from Jacob. So he makes mention of a star that's associated with this one who is to come. And then he says, the second part that a scepter shall rise from Israel. So the star is associated with the scepter. A scepter is something that the king holds, the ruler holds. So there is a ruler coming out of Israel that is being indicated by a star, by a star. So you can kind of paint the picture of why when they see this special star rising from the east to the west, guiding them, that maybe this, maybe this is what Daniel's talking about, what he has been teaching us. So verse three, when the king Herod heard this, what did he hear? He heard this proclamation, king of the Jews. What's King Herod going to do? What's his mode of operation? I'm going to eliminate this. He was troubled. That word means agitated, inward. He trembled, inward, inward. And all Jerusalem with him. Now, I said this a couple weeks ago. Matthew starts his genealogy, his book, with talking about the nations. It, the, the nations are represented in Jesus' genealogy. And then he ends his book with, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Nations. Matthew also starts his book with saying, they're going to call his name, they're going to refer to him as Emmanuel, means God with us. And he ends his gospel the same way. He says, uh, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's another one. Here he's starting it off with this response of all of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem is trembling, is troubled by what they have heard. If we go a little bit farther into Matthew, just prior to Jesus going to the cross, we have what we call Palm Sunday, chapter 21, verse 8. And most of the crowd spread their garments in the road 
Others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were saying, uh, crying out, saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then listen, and when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. All the city was stirred saying, who is this? Who is this? Their response at that time, the crowd were saying, this is the prophet Jesus whom is in Nazareth of Galilee. So he starts his gospel with Jerusalem all stirred up about this. And then toward the end of the gospel, when Jesus comes in on the donkey at Palm Sunday, what's Jerusalem doing again? They're, they're all shook up about this. Verse 4, and, the, and gathering together, King Herod, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes, those would have been the Sadducees and the Pharisees, of all the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born, where the Christ was to be born. Now, what Herod is going to do is he's trying to use their knowledge about God's word, but he's going to use it to harm somebody. Don't do that. God's word is to instruct us. God's word is to comfort us. God's word is to warn us. But we don't use God's word to harm others. And that's what he's going to, that's what he wants to do here. He wants to harm them. Now, you can look at this passage this way also. I'm going to put one on top of another here. There's three characters Herod, the priests, and the Magi. You got three. Herod represents those who are antagonistic toward Christ. There are those in our world that are antagonistic toward Christ. Next verse, verse 5, And they said to him, the chief priests and scribes, said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew the answer, for this is what is written by the prophets. Now, the priests are going to say Magi too, but the priests are apathetic. To Christ. Herod's antagonistic against Christ. The priests are apathetic toward Christ. They know the answer. They know the answer, but we don't have them going, oh, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's get right down there right now. Let's see what th- th- this is, is that, that's coming to pass. We don't have that at all. They're apathetic toward Christ. They've got the answer, but they're apathetic. Jesus actually says this in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, he, he describes their thought pattern. Verse 39, when Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You know everything in the scriptures. You think it brings eternal life. It is these, meaning the scriptures, that bear witness about me. It's these scriptures that bear witness about me, he says. And then he says, and you are unwilling to come to me. They're apathetic. They're apathetic about Christ so that you might have eternal life. So they state Micah 5 2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. And out of you shall come forth a leader who shall shepherd my people. Now, um, the word for leader means to go before to go before, to rule. And then he ties it, though, with shepherd, which means to feed, to tend, and to keep. That's a unique combination. We're going to have a leader who's a shepherd. 
Because lots of times you can get leader in your head and you think of a certain type of person. But he says, no, we, we need a leader to shepherds. To shepherds. Unique combination. Remember that as we get closer to putting together a search team. Because what are we looking for? We're looking for a leader who shepherds, who shepherds. Now, this is not so unique because when God calls King David, 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. You were the leader. You were the leader, David. And Yahweh said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will be the ruler over Israel. You'll be the ruler over Israel. One last thing I put up there is John chapter 7. How, and I put this up there because how much did the people know that this was going to happen in Bethlehem? The normal people, the, the regular people, did they know this, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? In John chapter 7, starting in verse 40, some of the crowd, therefore, who heard these words were saying, this truly is the prophet. Jesus has been speaking. And they're trying to figure out who he is. And some said, truly, he is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. They were saying, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the one that has come. That's our, that's our assessment of it. Still, others were saying, no, no. For is the Christ going to come from Galilee? Because they knew this Jesus had come from Galilee. He was raised in Nazareth. He had come from Galilee down to Jerusalem. So wait a minute. It doesn't seem to add up because. Um, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David? So he comes from the seed of David. He comes from the line of David and from Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So that was common knowledge for any Jewish person to know. If you were going to ask him the question, where is the Messiah to be born? You would have that answer. You would have that answer. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time that the star appeared. Now, watch what Herod does who's antagonistic toward Christ. He not only uses the Bible to harm, but now he's going to use others. He's going to try to get others to do some of his dirty work. Verse 8, And sent them to Bethlehem and said, King Herod said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I may too come and worship him. And all of us on the count of three said, one, two, three, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. King Herod's going to get down on his knees, his head to the ground, and bow down before this babe. Mm -mm. No, that's not what's going to happen here. Verse nine. Now, after hearing the king, they went their way, and behold, there's that word again. They paid attention. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, if Herod is antagonistic toward Christ and the priests are apathetic toward Christ, the Magi are what? They're adoring to Christ. I mean, and there's a sermon all on itself or message all on itself right there. We're not to be the, we're not to be Herod. We're not to be the priests. We're to be who? in the story. We're to be the Magi. We're to be adoring of Christ. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love this verse. 
I love this verse because Matthew, what Matthew does is he, he puts things on top of things because he's like, I got to explain this, but it's really hard to put this in words. And I wish you could have been there. If you would have been there, you would have experienced this. That's, that's kind of what Matthew's trying to do here. So when he says rejoiced exceedingly, that word exceedingly is great, but it means number. It means number. So, so they, they said it over and 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 over again because they were so excited that they saw the star. But then he puts on it with great joy. The word great there is a different word. It means mega, and it deals with size and volume, okay? So he's just trying to express, because these two words are the same, he's trying to express that when they saw the stars, they were saying it over and over and over and over to one another, and they were going, la, 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 la. You know, they were just coming right out of their skin. They're just coming right out of their skin. And those people on the live stream went, whoa, turn this down. (laughs) Verse 11, and after coming into the house. Now, we'll notice there that Jesus is in a different position now. Uh, They've had eight days. They went for the circumcision and the naming of the child. Then 40 days after that would have been the, the, um, she would have, Mary would have been purified and they would have dedicated this child in Jerusalem. That's where we have the passage of Scripture where Simeon and Anna come along and again pronounce who this child, who this child is. And, so, and, and maybe, too, you know, he's not back up in Galilee yet. You've got a little baby. You know, maybe we better hang around a while before we make another 90-mile trip north kind of thing. So they, coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down to the ground. They fell down to the ground and worshipped him right hands and knees down below him. Usually we don't have those in the nativity scene, do we? You know, they're usually kind of maybe kneel a little bit, you know, kind of thing. But when they mean worship, they mean right down on the ground. And it says, and they open their treasures. The word treasure there is a collection. So most likely, I know we like to signify them out, you know, like this one's got the gold, this one's got the frankincense, this one's got the myrrh. But most likely, it's a box of collection that each one of them were collecting gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Each one of them were collecting these different items that they would present to this, this little boy, baby in the manger. Um, they presented to him gifts of gold or items made of gold. Where, who do you give items of gold to? Who is worthy of that? Royalty, a king, a king. Then they gave him items of frankincense. Frankincense is this white resin that comes from a tree, but it's used mostly in worship, in a temple. It's mostly used by a holy man. So they're giving items to one who's a king. They're giving items to one who's a holy man. And then you throw in this third one, myrrh. And myrrh comes from a tree also, and it's an ointment. But that ointment, the main thing that that ointment is used for is for burial for the embalming. That's when that is used. I, I, I didn't put it up there, but I'm still in John here. John chapter uh, 19, when Jesus is taken off the cross and, and, and Joseph of Arimathea gets the body and, and Nicodemus comes along to help him. In verse 39, you see it again. And Nicodemus, who was first to come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred litres. So you can see it there being used at the burial. 
So it's interesting, these wise men are bringing a collection of items that is fit for a king, and it's fit for a holy man, but it's also for a king who's a holy man that will what? Die. Will die. Now, let me, verse 12, and having been warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. This is the second time that he says warned in a dream. There'll be five of them by the time we complete. And um, notice here that who do they listen to now? Do they listen to King Herod, little K? Or do they listen to King Jesus, capital K? They listen to King Jesus. I mean, they listen to the God, to God. It reminds me, and I, I won't read this one, but Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, 18, 19 and 20, where Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin said, don't, you guys can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter turns around and says, um, if it's right, who is it right to follow? You or God? We will not stop preaching in the name of Jesus. There are times in our lives, and there will be times in our lives, that we have to realize who we stand with. These magi said, we are not going to listen to King Herod. We're going to follow King Jesus. And so they went home another way. Before I get to the last slide, last week I talked to you about how we are the holders of the message of Christmas. We're the ones that guard it. We're the ones that keep it. We're the ones that uh, can explain the details of Christmas. I said last week, the God who saves is with us. That's the message of Christmas. The God who saves is with us and is coming again. As I was studying this, um, I didn't know that James Taylor wrote a song about this passage of Scripture. Did anybody know that? Yeah, 1988. You're going to have to Google it, look it up, listen to it, but only cur courtesy listen to it because he talks about the Magi, he talks about Jesus, he talks about the star, but everything else is wrong. I like James Taylor, but everything else is wrong in that. And after you study this passage of Scripture, you'll go, oh, that's not right. That's not right. Yeah, that, good. Because we're the holders of the message, the true message of Jesus. True message of Jesus. Last slide. Our treasure to offer is, what do we offer Jesus? Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that are very lies. We are made of the earth by God, our earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In every way afflicted, in every way we will be afflicted, but not crushed. In every way we will be perplexed, but not despairing. We will be persecuted, but not forsaken. We'll be struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. I possess within me because Jesus died upon a cross. I am redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm, I'm loved by him. There's a, as we talked about Dave this morning, an eternal home waiting for me with my heavenly, with my heavenly father so that the life of Christ, because he didn't stay in the grave, did he? The life of Christ, he rises from the grave, also may be manifested in our body. What's the treasure that we bring before him? We bring our very lives before him. So we do the same thing. Do we come before Jesus as our king? 
He's our king. He's, he's my leader. He's my master. He's the one that has gone before me. Do we come before Jesus as our priest? That he's my intercessor. He's my mediator. He's my, he's my example. You know, as Jesus loves, I love. As Jesus forgives, I forgive. And on and on and on. And then last one, do we come before Jesus as our prophet? He's my teacher. He's my martyr in the sense that he died for the words that he said. He died for the words willingly. He died for the words that he said. He's my instruction. And so I want us to think about that. Many, I'm just playing off of that. Um, the king is the gold. The priest is the frankincense. And the prophet is the myrrh because many of the prophets in the Old Testament, what happened to them? They got killed. They got martyred for what they're speaking about the words of God. But we need to come this Christmas, and I encourage you to do so, to realize that, wait a minute, the one who has come, who is with us, he's my king, he's my leader, he's the one that's gone before me, he's my priest, he's the one that, that paid the price, and he's my prophet, he's the instruction that I follow. He's my prophet, and he's my priest, and he's my king. That's who's represented in the manger, laid, on a, laid in a manger. That's who it is to me. That's who he is to me. Would you stand with us? We'll close with a prayer and a final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, uh, the specialness of this morning and the kids being able to sing. And, and, uh, but Lord, as we continue to walk through uh, Matthew and this passage of Scripture, um, that we glean more and more and more beyond maybe just the scene of the manger to, to realize this is a time of worship of the one who has come. He's more than a baby. He's the king. He's more than a baby. He is the high priest. He's more than a baby. He is the one who brings the words of life. So, Lord, may we worship you in that way this Christmas. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord. Wow, one more week to the big day, huh? Yes, so many of us are going to spend that time with last-minute gifts for the people that we love. We're going to be getting food for the people that we love. We're going to be busy this week. Please join me in the reason why. John 3.16, please join us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the reason for the season. Be blessed. <laughs>